One way to impress people and capture their attention is to take data and then package it up into bite-sized actionable information that you can share with anybody. And it's exactly what Peter Caputa and his Databox team did with the 2023 State of Business Reporting. It's based on a survey that's responded to by over 314 global companies. You can write a post on why you should share your company's performance data with everybody in your company. But if I have data that says more successful companies share their performance data with everybody in their company, that's way more compelling. Exactly. It doesn't come off less salesy, right? It's just like, it comes off as like, okay, yeah, of course, that's good advice. <laughs> in this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first how a survey-driven content can fuel your marketing strategy. Second, how surveys can be used to create content that impacts every stage of the customer journey from activation to retention. Third, how Peter and the Databox team created the 2023 State of Business Reporting. And fourth, how dedicating time to learn things outside of your function can help accelerate your career. Now, before we start, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download, fill in, and create a survey-driven thought leadership content right now. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to download it, or you can find the link in the description and show notes. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! your host, John. Talk about marketing power-ups. You know, one of the best ways to have your content stand out really is to create proprietary data through surveys. You know, a perfect example of this is something that Databox has just put out, the 2023 State of the Business Reporting. And it's really based on 314 companies globally your team has surveyed. And I'm guessing it took a ton of effort and time and resources to really gather, compile, and synthesize this data. Why was, why was it so important for your team, uh, for you to really have and create this 2023 state of business reporting? Yeah, so uh, Databox, we, we provide a set of tools that help companies uh, monitor, analyze, report, and benchmark their performance. So uh, like we're all about how companies should be doing their internal reporting in order to make sure that they're on track to goals and uh, you know, uh, optimizing for efficiency and, you know, get hitting the growth targets, all that stuff. So uh, for us, it was like, it's what we do. And we wanted to understand how companies are doing it uh, with or without us. Uh, and, and so that we could uh, share best practices with everyone, really. Um, prospects, customers, partners of ours. Uh, so now, now we can definitively say this is how companies do the reporting. Um, we were also able to like um, take a portion of the respondents that and identify them as higher performing companies, and so we were also able to identify the habits of the higher performing companies. Uh, so now we can go to our customers and say, "Hey, you're doing this, this, this with our product. You should probably do these things. This is what higher performing companies do," uh, and that allows us to compel them to <laughs> use our product better so that their business <laughs> can perform better. You know, it sounds a little, uh, it sounds a little. No, it makes sense. Right. <laughs> it's in their best interest. <laughs> mm. I feel like that's like really tapped into most humans' uh, actual inclination to co- to compare themselves, to compare their business. It's like, oh, we should be yes. doing this. And the end goal for Databox is to increase product usage. You're like getting them to use other types of things that they not might not be doing is, is exactly what I'm hearing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very, yeah, we're a very product-led growth, um, which I know you 
you're you're a huge advocate and <laughs> expert at. Uh, we're very into product like growth, and uh, for us, you know, we want them, we want our customers to connect more of their data, so more of the tools that they use: Google Analytics, Search Console, ad platforms, email tools, marketing automation, CRMs, finance tools, etc. So the more tools they can act, the better of an overall view of their performance they have, and the more likely to continue to use our product. Also, we want them to add more users to the more people inside of a company that are monitoring the performance of that side company. Um, the more likely that company is going to do well. And also, of course, stick with us. Uh, and then we have features like goals. Um, lots of companies aren't very good at setting goals. Um, and if they do, it's like on a piece of paper or something. Uh, and so we have a goals feature in the app, which we want our users to use. Um, there's a reporting tool that allows them to semi-automate a report, but still you know, prompts them to like interpret the data a bit and recommend next steps since we want them to use that. It's an active usage of our product, which lends itself well to retention. So, um, so yeah, so through this survey that we did, we were able to identify that companies, for example, the companies that are transparent about their performance internally and they share their results internally are higher performing. And so one of the things that means is that everyone should, everyone should, and your company should have a log in the data box, right? And see how, so they can monitor and see how the, how the company is performing. Because a more informed employee is going to make smarter decisions, going to feel more invested in their, uh, in their own work, in helping other people in their company execute their work, et cetera. So, um, and there's going to understand the interplay between, you know, everybody's work and, and the final result that the company is trying to achieve. So, so all those things that we're able to validate through the survey um, we can use in, you know, our whole journey, whole customer journey from. Yeah, that makes sense. To, yeah. To add to it. It's exactly what I, what I was just going to say is like, it, it can really touch upon the whole, the whole journey. Like you mentioned uh, from activation to retention, I'm guessing the retention piece and getting them to use other features uh, can increase their, their revenue, uh, the, their revenue expansion potential as well, where, you know, they're using other yeah, exactly with you. Yeah, yeah. Where they're absolutely. using other types of products as well. Pricing, pricing mm. tiers, and we have a value-based pricing. Nice. And then we're, we have launched our second product. We're, we'll launch a third product this year. So yeah, any additional cool. usage and value they're getting will lead to more, more usage and, and more upgrades for us. That totally makes sense. It even really, like, it's such a great piece of content. And it's something that actually we've been thinking a lot about at that piece as well. It's like how you can use proprietary data through survey to create almost like a a content that's hard to copy. Like with with AI out there, it's easy to like create like a listicle, right? But this right. kind of might data, accurate, you could create one. Yes. It might not be accurate, exactly. <laughs> but for it to spit out like original thought leadership uh, research like this is so important. I love I love to just hear your thoughts on this. Why is it why why is it so important when we are preparing for a chat? You mentioned that every marketer should be thinking about creating content like oh, yeah. this. Why is that important? You know, for you? Really, it, it is really hard. We can walk through like what we've done to pull mm. it off. This is like, that's the second report we published. So we're about to publish the third. And we're getting to the point where we can pump these things out. Um, so, so I can talk about the process. But yeah, I think, I think it's so important, be, again, because it impacts every stage of the customer journey. Um, so for example, I, I wrote five LinkedIn posts, um, a, a, which 
just riff on like one of the data points from the survey. And the survey had 30 to 40 questions. And so I could literally go and write 10 more. I still have way more than I could do. Each one of those creates a, you know, creates a conversation. I think one of them had like 80 comments on LinkedIn. Um, and that's just like impression, like crazy impressions and influence both, both people who don't use us as well as customers, as well as partners. And so it just enables us to really uh, get, get our message out there in a way that doesn't feel like selling, right? I could, of course, go and say like, I could write a post on, you know, why, why you should share your company's performance data with everybody in your company. But if I have data that says more successful companies share their performance data with everybody in their company, that's way more compelling. It doesn't come off less salesy, right? It's just like, it comes off as like, okay, yeah, of course, that's good advice, <laughs> right? Um, so I think it's just, it's just so much, uh, it's so uh, almost objective, right? You can, you can take your, your value props, your positioning, how you, how you want people to think, and you can make it a very objective fact uh, by having you know survey data uh, that backs up that perspective. I really love that, and what I'm hearing is that you're able to create like other types of content. You mentioned that LinkedIn post, the five LinkedIn posts, which I'll link in the show notes and in description as well. But it's from this talk, this content, you're able to create like you. I heard you were on the Metrics and Chill podcast. You could talk about it on a podcast now, like what you're doing here. Right. You can create those LinkedIn posts. Create YouTube videos. You can create all this other types of content based on this research. That's super hard to copy. Like your competitors are, the amount of effort that you you your team has put into this is not as easily copyable. Copyable, that's even a that's word, right. rather that's than right. other things. Essentially, yeah, yeah, because it, it relies on uh, them going out and getting three hundred people to answer thirty questions, which <laughs> which is not easy to duplicate, right? Uh, and chances are they wouldn't want to just rip rip off our questions either. Like I, I would right. hope that our competitors would have some different positioning in the market and will want to vary that as well. But yeah, this this helps us get our message out. The other beautiful thing about surveys is um, they're highly citable, C-I-T-E-A-B-L-E, citable, right? In terms of um, when you have a stat out there that you know companies are more successful if they share their their performance data with all their employees. Like that's something that someone else is going to want to reference. That's not, maybe not even a competitor of ours, maybe, maybe a partner of ours, or maybe just somebody that, that wants that same, you know, same uh, positioning out in the market. So, uh, so I think that though they tend to be link magnets, these reports, right? Where people are like constantly linking to that report because they just want to grab one or two stats that they use say in the introduction of their article or introduction of their social post or whatever so uh, we did a uh the state of facebook advertising performance uh about a year ago and like that one if you if you just google facebook ads performance we rank number one for that report um so not a, not a great like stats like <laughs> tens of thousands of sessions but pretty good chart especially given that we're in the business of helping people track their right. facebook ads performance so um, so yeah, I think, uh, those, those, these kind of reports are very, uh, very link worthy. They attract links True. basically and you have to go out and get them. Yeah, that's, and just, I wanted to really, what you just mentioned there, another advantage of this is, uh, you know, Google trust it, it, since it's more trustworthy, Google sees it as more likely to be rank higher essentially. So there's a little bit of an SEO play there as well with yeah. the backlinks and the citable, like you mentioned. So that's super interesting yep. that. On that out yeah 
So yeah, we in general we get a we get um more than a quarter, almost three hundred thousand sessions a month on our website. Wow. Last month, right. uh, December, no January, we got sixty four hundred signups for our free product, all from organic, like you know, as measured by Google Analytics, right? some of that's word of mouth and all this other stuff, but but it's all organic. Um, and we've basically we've crowdsourced one thousand articles, more than a thousand articles in the last six years, long form articles. Um, and so while we've done these longer form surveys, like the state of business reporting, state of Facebook ads, performance, et cetera, we also do shorter ones where we'll ask like two open-ended questions and, and maybe three to five close-ended questions. And then we'll create a, you know, a, 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 an article on that. It's usually a few thousand words, so it's not short, but it's nowhere near the length of our you know, 30, 40 question surveys. Um, and that's allowed us to produce a lot of content, which allows us to get um, a lot of traffic and a lot of science for our product. For, for people who are interested in doing something like this for their own company, you've already done two. You're going to do three now with your team. Any piece of advice you'd like to give them uh, that would be helpful uh, as to like for people who, who might not have done this before? Uh, the, the best thing you can do is like partner with somebody um, that has a complementary reach. Um, so for example, the, the one where the survey we're running right now is um, state of agency client collaboration market for marketing agencies and their clients. Uh, and we teamed up with a um, consulting firm called Zenpilot, who helps agencies implement uh, ClickUp and teamwork as their project management solution. Uh, and so we they, they designed half the questions and we designed half the questions. Their questions are obviously around project management. Ours are around uh, reporting uh, results to clients. Uh, and, and together that's like the two most important functions that an agency is going to have in order to secure the client relationship, right? They got to scope projects and execute them and they got to report results. And so um, we teamed up, we built that survey together and then we promoted it together. Uh, and so they got, you know, respondents. So we got respondents um, and that really helps because it's hard to get like 300 people to fill out a longer survey. Um, now, we, like I said before, we've been doing shorter ones for a long time. So we've built up a list of, marketers especially who are willing to take surveys because for two reasons. One, um, we often will quote them in the articles or the reports that we write. And then two, we give them access to the, the raw survey result. So they can see, see how their performance and uh, see the things they're doing versus what other respondents are doing. Um, so that, that, uh, that's kind of an incentive. So we're, we're actually in the process of partnering with a bunch of different companies to do more of these um, going forward. Uh, and so um, it makes it a lot easier, right? We got, I think maybe 50 or so people to respond from that partnership with Zenpilot. That's 50 people we wouldn't have reached that are now on our list that we can use for the next survey. Um, and um, and it just makes it easier the, the more you do it. But it really comes down to repetition. I don't recommend starting maybe with a, a the long form survey, uh, if if you're a new company or you you don't have a lot of other marketing channels yet developed, right? Um, I would recommend starting with a short one where you it's more almost like a poll with an open ended question and just write a report based on the you know you ask them an open ended question like how did you improve X performance in, in this area, right? And they give you a free form thing, and then they answer a few questions, and then you just do a quick like um, a quick article on that. Uh, and that's the way you get 30 to 50 people to respond and that's enough, right? 
Um, so that's how I'd recommend starting. I wouldn't recommend starting with uh, well, <laughs> we'll getting 300 respondents global. unless you're you know, already very successful uh, company of a big audience. Before we continue, I want to thank those who made this video possible, 42 Agency. Now, when you are in scale-up mode and you have KPIs to hit, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. And it's a lot to handle. Demand gen, email sequences, rev ops, and even more. That's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamworks, ProtSocial, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of in-house, look no further. Go to 42agency.com to talk to a strategist to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. You can find that link in the description below. Let's jump back in. I'm curious how you pulled off the interesting insights. I feel like that's not something that uh, somebody who is not familiar with the space might be able to pull off. Like, we'll, 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 we'll I, I'm going to bring up an interesting insight in, in a bit, but like, okay. do you go through that or John, the head of marketing at Databox or anybody else that I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, marketing is the most monitored and reported that somebody who might, who must be familiar with the space has gone through the data. So there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, um, like sur survey design is 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 a is a skill. I guess is the right maybe the right. It's it's like a discipline. It's like you know there isn't a course I think that you go for in college necessarily for survey design. Although some colleges have them, but um, it's kind of like a like you should take a course on survey design in a way, in other words, or read a book on it. There's a lot of like tried and true principles. I did a survey in college for a project. It was like a, a a year-long project where we actually back then had to phone people out and ask them questions. <laughs> yeah, we we called these manufacturing companies, and we—I'm not going to get into the topic, but we literally called like 500 of them. And they back then, this is the late 90s. People used to pick up the phone, um, so uh, so they would answer, and you know, we tell them we were in school, and people would feel like, "Oh, that's really cool that you're doing this in school," and they'd answer our questions. And, um, and so, but I learned a lot, uh, both for the professor and a book that I read on survey design around like how to, how to write your questions in a way that they're not leading people, uh, how to maybe have sometimes have multiple questions that ask similar things so that you can check to see whether people are being honest, um, you know, how to, how to structure, do, use different types of survey questions, whether it's multiple choice, select all that apply, select one, right? Rank, rank things. Like there's different things that you can do. Uh, in order to design an effective survey, so I'd recommend picking up a, a book on it if you're if you're going to do it. Um, but to ha answer how we do it, um, in the beginning it was me um, designing the surveys. That was a long time ago. Uh, along the way, we hired um, uh, a person just to do survey design. Um, like I said, we do these shorter surveys multiple times per week, and so that's her job is to like um, identify topics and come up with survey design uh, around them. We also have multiple people internally who will come up with topics because they have various experience either working with customers or just experience in certain you know, marketing tactics or sales processes, et cetera. Uh, and so they'll, they'll be able to come up with creative ideas. And our first step is to write a research brief. And so it's like most right. content marketers oh. write a content brief. We write a research mm. brief. So, that, so cool. it's like, Here's the hypothesis that we have. Here's the angle we think that's interesting. Here are the questions we would ask. Here's some data we already have because uh, we're often using performance benchmark data 
these reports now as well. Um, and so we'll write that and then it'll be a next step. We'll go to the survey design person and she'll fine tune the survey question. She'll do some of her own research on the topic uh, and fine tune it. And then it goes into production where we, um, we recruit respondents. Um, and so then we have a variety of tactics and techniques for, uh, and, and, uh, channels for recruiting respondents, uh, that we use. And then once we get enough, that's when we analyze the same person who designed the survey analyzes. Interesting. Makes sense. Analyzes right. it. Um, oftentimes we'll review that for the longer form surveys. I'm still involved, uh, in reviewing that, um, to kind of make sure, uh, you know, the things we're saying make sense. There's statistical relevance to stuff. Uh, we're slicing or segmenting the respondent pool differently in order to compare and contrast things. So there's a bunch of different steps. Now, I'm more of a rubber stamp kind of person at this point. Like the, the team is really good at this, um, but I do stay involved in, in some of that stuff because I'm passionate about survey design and have been for a while. Um, so yeah, and then um, once we're done the analysis, we actually have a, te a, a team of freelance writers uh, and we provide direction and write, then we write the content brief and hand that off to the writer to weave it all together. Yeah. So, so there's like, including the people involved in recruiting respondents, uh, even though there's, there's like 10 of them, uh, but if I just include them as one person, um, there's like, there's like six different people that touch it. Wow. That is impressive. In this six months, I believe like I read somewhere that Jeremiah, I think in the podcast metrics and chill mentioned that mm -hmm. It took up most of 2022 building this uh, state of business reporting. Yeah, we're getting faster at it every time. So the Facebook ads one probably took us like six to nine months, uh, which is too long because uh, things change in six to nine months. But uh, but it was still a good report. And it really, I, you know, it was it was statistically relevant. And then uh, the the state of business reporting is about six months. I think this one we're doing now we're we're going on like four months, and we're close. We seem to be able to get to like 250 <laughs> respondents and that last 50 is really hard to get. Um, so yeah, but, but I anticipate because we basically built a product that does this. We haven't rolled this feature out yet, Interesting. but Interesting. as we partner with other companies to do this, my expectation is it'll get a lot easier for us to, to do it because we'll have multiple partners for one research report basically. I want to jump into one of the most interesting, one of the interesting takeaways from the report. It's around mm -hmm. how marketing actually beat out sales and finance as one of the most monitored and reported on function. And yeah, in your LinkedIn post, you said this may be a good thing because now marketing finally has a seat at the table. But you also mentioned in that LinkedIn post, which once again, I'll link in the description. This might not be as a good thing as people may think. What, why is that? Why isn't why are you sure that this may be a good thing? Uh, this this insight, this takeaway. I think I don't I don't want the bad thing to overshadow the 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 good thing. So I think so. And the, and the actual data shows that like marketing, sales, and finance are like neck and neck within like percentage point in terms of whether they're monitored and or reported. So basically, the the, the short version of that um, is that marketing, sales, and finance are, are both monitored and reported, like almost by all the respondents in the in the in the pool. So like it's like ninety some percent. Um, but I think one of the and, and so that's a good thing. Let's let's just let's let's enjoy that for a moment. That's because, true. So you know, when that. I started my career, not career as we were talking about, like a quarter century ago, marketing was still just producing brochures for the sales team to drop off 
at the client, right? Or marketing was was making sure that the 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 booth um, had an effective giveaway. Pretty. <laughs> um, so so uh, I think we should enjoy the fact that marketing has arrived. And of course, it wouldn't have happened without the internet and digital marketing making things way more measurable. Uh, and therefore, because it's measurable, you should report on it. Absolutely. And and like Databox's business is really built around uh, marketing reporting. We also do sales and finance reporting and, and other types of functions inside organizations. But marketing is still our bread and butter. In fact, 40% of our customers are marketing agencies doing their reporting out of us. So. Um, so putting aside, yeah, so celebrating that, we'll put the celebration aside for a second. Why I think this is a little bit concerning is that I, I fear that companies aren't, um, thinking about their marketing strategically enough, right? They get caught, they get caught up in what is measurable and they, they do the things that are measurable. Uh, and they make it marketing's responsibility to like grow the company. And I think this is especially true of product like growth. It's like we built a great product. Marketing should do should be doing more. We should we should have more of the market, right? It's marketing's fault. It's easy to say that. Um, but in reality, the the way that you grow your business, PLG or any business, is that you pick a really big market, <laughs> you <laughs> differentiate yourself in that right. market through your product and services. Uh you take a stand on things, right? You uh, you provide really good service, a really good selling process, the right um, the right and PLG especially the right free product, the right pricing and packaging around that, the right trial experience, like the right onboarding stuff. Like you know <laughs> that all that stuff. If that's not right, marketing can't fix that alone, at least. Um, and so, wow. so I think. It's easy for companies to say marketing is really measurable. How come we can't just do more of it? Because in sales, if you want to grow sales, you add the headcount, right? In marketing, it's not that simple. Um, So first of all, you have to have that strategy right, and then you got to pick your channels and your tactics and um, and all that. And that's and then your angles. You got to be creative. You got to balance creativity with productivity. So um, I think it's it's marketing isn't as coin operated. Um, as as other as other functions, coin operated meaning like you can't put a coin in <laughs> and just make it work. Right? Uh, so so, anyways, I, that's why I think it's a little concerning that that companies are monitoring their marketing so closely uh, for for that result. When in reality, it's the bigger, longer term decisions that determine the success of the marketing. I love that coin operated concept. I think on the other end, the results. It's hard, like sales is easy to, hopefully sales is easy to track the results where like, are you bringing in sales and finance is like, is it, are we like, are we releasing our resources correctly? Marketing might not be as, as, uh, you know, directly like, you know, one for one output where like you put in, for example, investing in brand or investing in, in something might take a while for it to, to see the results versus sales. You put in that one headcount. Of salesperson, hopefully within that quarter you can see the results on that person right away versus well, I, marketing. Yeah, I think in most SaaS companies it's going to take six, twelve months before a a salesperson is you know covering their covering their expenses. But yes, you should you should have an early sign that they're capable of connecting with the prospect, <laughs> willing to dial a, you know prospect every day, 
capable of having a qualification call. Like you'll see all that stuff. Or there's like there's this very right. like stepwise process of making sure that that is a good hire. In marketing, it's more of like, okay, we hired this person and these are their skills. What should we have them do? <laughs> right? What do they want to do? Like, what do we think they should do? What will have the biggest impact? And like finding the intersection of that, I think is, is harder. Um, and the other thing is like sales people, I think they're comfortable with, with looking at a funnel and just saying, yep, my work equals my output. And with marketing, um, I think marketing brains, including my own, tend to go with like, what's the creative thing that we could do that would be awesome, right? I, um, that's what I feel. Yeah, so right? But in reality, right. the reason you have people listen to your podcast is because you do it every week, right? And the reality, like people subscribe to a newsletter is because word of mouth spreads because you send it out every week and it's good every week and people get, they start to like it, right? And talk about it. So I do think there's an element of repetitiveness that's required in marketing that is very measurable uh, and depends entirely on the effort and the, you know, and the focus of that team, but there's still creativity required within it, uh, right? To write that newsletter, you can't just like sit down and like write it out. It's not like writing a prospecting essence, very similar to the last 200 that you sent. Um, so well, I think it's a really hard balance with marketing to find those repeatable things that produce results um, and then uh, being creative within it too. Uh, so that, so that you do, so that it, people want to talk about it and want to listen to it and read it, et cetera. You mentioned something in your LinkedIn post around a pendulum swinging. Do you feel like things have gotten so data driven for marketing this past few years and now it's like kind of swinging back or like, what, what, what are your thoughts around this pendulum that you were talking about in that LinkedIn post? I don't know where the pendulum is right now, but I do think the pendulum swung too far um, towards the measurability. And I think people think about like, why can't we just do more of that? And uh, well, because we'll get diminishing returns, right? <laughs> or um, we just need one more channel to work. We got SEO work and why can't we figure out the next channel? Like, well, because that channel is entirely different. We don't know how to do that yet in our context of our business. And so I think... Um, I think it it's uh, gotten too 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 focused on the mechanics of marketing, and which is of course measurable, um, and not enough focused in on the higher level company strategy, um, and you know and, and balancing the creativity with the with the consistency. I love this. We probably could talk about this for like a half a day or even longer. I, but I want to move on to talk about your career. Actually, a career prop to help you. You've been sure. in Martech. Actually, for over twenty-five years, you were. You mentioned that you were creating websites for your your wife, and then you became VP of Sales at HubSpot, and then now you're oh, CEO. Not, at not for not for my wife, but I did. I created my first website in the late nineties at my what? job. Uh, I was an engineer, was... and they decided to launch an e-commerce site, and they needed somebody that understood our product that we were manufacturing. Mm. Uh, and so I got yeah. on that team, and then I'm like, okay. Well, I might as well learn how to code. So I went back to school, learn how to code uh, and help, help build that um, site. Uh, it didn't work out, but I learned a lot. So it's good for me, not for the company. We ended up shutting the business, shutting the e-commerce site down. It didn't make any sense upon reflection uh, to, for that business to do, to sell online. But, um, but that's how I learned. And then when I learned that, I then hooked up with some friends um, and we started building out software ourselves. Um, in the, in, the, in the early 2000s, uh, did that 
uh, nights and weekends for a while. I did that full time for a few years. Um, and that's when I um, met, uh, um, ultimately met Mark Roberge, who was mm. running sales at HubSpot. I just joined. In fact, I met him before he even joined. He was just consulting them at the time. And we referred some customers to, to HubSpot even before, uh, <laughs> before I had joined. And then, um, and then my startup wasn't going anywhere. We still had a big ambition, but it, we were, we weren't getting very far. And, um, that's a, like a, a whole other episode. Uh, and so I ended up taking a job in sales at HubSpot. Um, and previously I had, um, hired a sales coach and went through like a year long sales training, sales coaching program. And so, uh, and it happened to be Mark's dad, by the way, Mark Roberts' dad. What? Mark <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, so anyways, Rick introduced me Mark and Mark hired me. And then, um, and then at HubSpot, I was the fourth sales rep, 15th employee. And then, um, I built out the channel there, uh, which is the agency partner program, um, and built that up to a, a little over a hundred million in, in annual revenue. Um, and then, uh. Uh, it wasn't as entrepreneurial anymore at that point. And I was looking to get back in the trenches. I had some ideas around what I wanted to build next. Uh, some of it around uh, benchmarks and the survey process. And, and, uh, and, and so I ended up connecting with uh, uh, the founder of Databox. They had just um, pivoted. They had to do, they raised money and kind of blew through some of it and they had to restart and refocus. And so um, where they were, what they were building and the market they were building for aligned with my understanding and my market knowledge um, of working with agencies and MarTech. And, um, and so I ended up uh, joining Databox six years ago. And so now we're uh, a bit less, a few, maybe about 130, 140 people or so, um, and, uh, and still growing. And we're, we've been cash flow break even for several years um, and investing in product innovation, investing in our marketing, et cetera. So, um, so it's been a fun ride. I can imagine it's been a really like roller coaster Upwards, a rocket ship. It's probably more. Korea is probably more well, a rocket HubSpot. ship than a rogue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, HubSpot was both a roller coaster and a rocket ship. Like the rocket ship, like from externally, it looks like everything was executed perfectly, but internally, it was like it was like you'd be crying one day and it laid, it laid, you know, it laid it next day. It was it was a lot of ups and downs. It was very stressful uh, being that part of a such a high growth company. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a uh, there's a lot of stories that don't necessarily get told publicly, um, but uh, but overall, of course, you know, it was life changing experience for me. Can uh, well, and all that, and then yeah, DataBox has been a little more smooth and steady since I joined. Um, nice. You know, we have our ups and downs, we have challenges, of course, but because of the way we're, um, you know, we we invest our, you know, we invest back in product innovation and really leveraging product and marketing to drive growth um and cs of course is important but um but uh i think you know we've really taken heart the plg motion and and organic content and all that stuff to really drive the growth of the company so pretty predictable uh in terms of our numbers each month each quarter that's a been a really great career my, my question is around a career power up or something that's you know this long really like amazing career that you've had so far and what what's going on so far any any advice or any career power up that's helped you uh accelerate your your journey to the next level good question i could, I could probably riff on this for a while but the one that's top of mind for me recently is just like dedicating time to learning 
um, and doing it in the context that it'll help you in in your current role, ideally, or at least in your current company, but also set you up for future opportunities and make you like the standout option for future opportunities, whether internally or externally. And so I wrote this post the other day of like basically saying like, you should get a job that's eight hours a day. Like you shouldn't take, you know, if you, for most, most people, like you shouldn't be committing to a job that requires you, you know, to work more than that most of the time. Um, but you shouldn't work eight hours a day. Like that should not be your modus operandi if you want to accelerate your career, right? Because there's good people, people that are smarter, that work harder than you, and they're going to have opportunities that you don't. So your only course of action is to invest more in yourself. And I think there's ways to do that that align with where your company's going. Um, so one of them is just to like go learn a new skill. So for example, my first the first company right out of school, I went back and learned how to write code. That enabled me to to like do that job better and actually contribute more than they thought I would be able to um, for that job, which saved them from other costs, um, which was good for that job. But it also allowed me to start a start a thing on nights and weekends, coding up a, an app. Right. Same thing with sales. Like in my first startup, I hired a coach and like to do sales. At the time, it was like a third of my personal income. It was a lot of money to hire that coach. Uh, and I made that decision because I knew that I needed to for that business. It would help me in that business. But it also then, of course, led to me getting a sales job. And I was fine. I wouldn't have gotten that job, both because I probably wouldn't have ever met Mark because his dad connected us uh, and my sales coach. And also because I just didn't have selling skills that I would have needed to get that job. So um, I think investing in those things along the way is important. And sometimes that requires nights and weekends. Like when I learned to code, it was nine hours uh, or uh, yeah, nine hours a week, nights and weekends. So it was like uh, a f or 12 hours, full day on Saturday and then uh, one one night night in, uh, a week or it might've been two nights a week. Um, and so you got to do that kind of stuff to invest in your growth. Another one that wasn't available in my career earlier on that is available to everyone now is just publishing online. You don't have to be like, it doesn't have to be a side hustle, I'm not saying go get a side hustle, um, but it, you can go online and literally in an hour publish something that other people are going to read. Like that, that did not exist in the world literally before, let's just say 15 years ago. And 15 years ago, it was harder. Now, like with LinkedIn, you know, it's so easy to get people to, to read what you write or read what you record and publish. Uh, and so like people that aren't taking advantage of that, honestly, I think they're fools. Uh, like it's such an easy way to build your career. Uh, so, uh, so anyways, um, and we have a program eternally that we're helping our team do that. Like I even help edit uh, some of really? the LinkedIn posts. Interesting. Yes. Uh, because it, I think it's that important. I think Interesting. it helps them they have to listen to something. They have to observe something. They have to think about something critically. They have to write something out. Those skills are so transferable in any role. Um, and if you can do that, like that is the core to building your, your career. And you then get to publish it, which makes people respect you, want to follow you, want to listen to what you have to say, uh, right? And you're building your own following, which could lead to a new job, could lead to a side hustle. This again, not recommending it necessarily. Um, or 
um, you know, or, or, um, or a promotion, right. At your current company or a new role in your current company. So, um, yeah, I think if you're not spending your Sunday morning, uh, you know, listening to something, reading a book and sharing 200 words on LinkedIn about it, then like, I don't think you're serious about your career. Um, that's the way I look at it. I, lo I really love that being publishing more and you're helping, you said you're helping your employees, like, you know, even read through it. Uh, on the other end, the, the positive for the data box is that people trust people more than they trust, like, you know, like right. company, uh, company um, profiles online and Absolutely. it builds credibility for the, uh, for the company itself. I think it's like, there's uh, multiple positive things that can, can happen for it, not just for the employee itself, but also for the companies that are helping the employees do it itself. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a thing we call it podcast club. We might change the name, but we listen, podcast we listen, club. everybody in the CS team listens to our own podcast every week. Maybe we'll sub this one in for, for, for the, uh, in the schedule, but everyone listens to our own podcast metrics and shell. And, and then we meet not everybody, but, but like there's usually 10 to 15 people that meet, discuss it. Everyone fills out a quick Google form that says like, what was confusing, um, from the podcast? Uh, what, what, what was things that you learned that were new and what would you think the main takeaway and then what might you write about on LinkedIn? Um, and so that we use that as the basis for our internal discussion about the podcast. We clarify anything that was confusing. We talk about the, you know, what people learned and, and how that relates to their, maybe their own job and, and data box and how we build our own business. And then we talk about the main takeaway uh, and afterwards, um, they go and they write a draft and uh, they put that into a Google Doc. We have an Asana project with different stages. Uh, there's some other people that kind of review it before I do um, and, and give some feedback. And then I do a quick final edit on it and uh, and then they publish. So I, I don't expect to do that myself forever. Um, right. But I do think it's an cool. important investment that I wanted to make in the team. And yes, absolutely. There's It helps the company, right? Um, mm -hmm in a lot of ways, um, because it's our CS team doing it. They're also connecting with our, their prospects and customers. And so it's another touch point that we can influence them. Um, and then of course, when we have, you know, 10 people are writing about something, um, that, you know, is much more likely to be seen by our collective network than, than if just one person's writing. And as you said, yes, people, people tend to follow and trust people a little more than they do brand accounts. That makes sense. Uh, right. So, Pod yeah. Podcast Club. I love that. We might, uh, I might do this. I'm thinking of changing to the Creator Club because I, that Creator Club. On the creating, but, wow. That's super cool. Uh, yeah, I love this. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to try to do it myself here now. Well, well, see if I can get the CS team to do the same thing with what we're doing here. Well, yeah. Like, so I, I'm the CEO. So I got to decide that we we're going to do it. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so you might have to get buy in. But, uh, but I still had to get by into, in fact, I got some pushback that I'm like, eh, let's just do it and see what happens. <laughs> I love it. But <laughs> before we wrap up, there's one other question I want to ask you around a piece of advice. If you can travel back in time and give the young, a younger Peter piece yeah. of advice or a couple of pieces of advice, what would you give uh, yourself an advice uh, to your well, younger self? Probably to pick my battles. <laughs> We're still picking a lot of battles, and I'm probably still not taking the advice that I'd give myself now. But uh, when I look back on my career, I picked fights more than battles. Uh, sometimes because, because 
because uh, of ego as a as a as opposed to um uh trying to trying to optimize for uh for you know truth and justice so um so yeah it's i'm a i'm a i like to debate i learn that way um uh, and i i obsess over things to the point where i convince myself of something and so then it becomes like okay that's the mission uh and so i can be i can be a little voracious um sometimes that's got me into trouble um but yeah so maybe maybe i don't know i'm not sure i would change it worked out fine for me <laughs> that's true i love it no it's so <laughs> so good i love this chat with peter i hope you learned as much as i did you can follow peter on linkedin and check out the databox state of reporting on databox.com the link to those are in the description and show notes thanks to peter for being on the show if you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. Share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. Go to marketingpowerups.com, subscribe, and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening, and please like and follow Marketing Power-Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about marketing problems. Thanks to Mary Solden for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered up day. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode. 